Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey, everybody. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with one of my favorite authors, Paula Mounier. And I'm excited today because you guys can get her book coming up, her new one, The Hiding Place, which is part of her Mercy Car series. And you guys are going to love it. You're going to love it. I got an advanced copy, and it's so great. You're just going to absolutely love it. Paula, how does it feel to have three books in a series now? Well, I never knew I could write three books and now I'm writing book four. So it's interesting because it's such a journey for me, but it's also a journey for the characters, right? It's a journey for my heroine because she progresses in every book. It's a journey for her dog, Elvis, who also progresses. They start off in book one and they're just home from Afghanistan and they're mourning their man and their mission because Mercy's fiance has been killed in battle and he was Elvis's handler. So they both miss him and they're both trying to transition to civilian life after the military. So that's book one. And then book two, they're kind of feeling their way. And then now in book three, they kind of come into their own. So it's an interesting journey for all of us. I come into my own writing their stories and um, Mercy and Elvis come into their own. And it's the first time that Mercy's companionship of Elvis is challenged. So one of his former handlers that she didn't know about shows up and says that Elvis is his dog. So she, she's finally found a way to, to go through the world without Martinez, her fiance. And a big part of that is having Elvis as her companion. And now that companionship is threatened and she's threatened with losing Elvis, which would be like in some ways losing Martinez all over again. So it's a pretty emotional story. Yeah. Well, and that's why, you know, that's why we read these books, because we want to feel those emotions. We want to, you know, grow and share along with our characters. And I'm a big rereader. Like, you know, I won't maybe read, you know, a, you know, because it takes a year at least for books to come out. You know, they're they're because you, know, you have to write them, you know, they have to be edited and produced. But sometimes if one's coming out and I haven't read that series for a while, I will go back and reread that series. And what's amazing to me, Paula, um, is that you can go back and read the same book and have an entirely different experience with it. Absolutely. I reread my favorite series, partly for fun as a reader and partly as a writer. And I'm always amazed now that I've written three books and I'm writing book four, that these things I've mentioned in book one, sort of off the cuff, they were my subconscious planting, planting seeds for the 
becoming books. And that's been a lot of fun to see how those seeds grow over the course of the series and what I can make of them. And I see that in other writers too, like Louise Penny and Ellie Griffiths and Anne Cleves and all my favorite series writer, Julia, Julia Spencer Fleming. They all write series that I love and they do the same thing. If you go back and reread them from the beginning, you'll see how the series grow. And at the time, as the writer, you don't even know you're planting these seeds. Well, see, and that's what I thought was amazing because, you know, I'm so linear, you know, being a programmer, I'm kind of, you know, this linear person. And I always thought like when I would imagine a writer writing, I would see her at her desk with like spreadsheets, like, you know, all of these little, you know, this, this must be introduced here. We have the smoking gun here. We have the bullet hitting here, you know, all these things, never realizing that this just kind of pours out of your head and just makes sense. Well, it's interesting because I actually know writers who have spreadsheets <laughs> and they make spreadsheets. I'm not one of those, but I did write a book called Plot Perfect, which is about how to plot your novel. And I did, especially with book one and book two, I took a very linear, you know, beat by beat storyline approach. And I had those, those helpful aids as I plotted the books and, and wrote the books. By the time I got to book three, I had somehow absorbed the process a little bit. So I didn't have to know as much as I needed in the earlier books. And now with book four, I'm just winging it. And I think, <laughs> what am I doing? I can't just wing it. But, and I, and I, had, a, I had a title and I had well, a title for book three and I had a premise, but then you know, the rest just sort of came to me. Paula, I'm just going to stop you for a minute because I want to thank our sponsor. And our sponsor today is KiwiCo. And that's spelled K-I-W-I-C-O, KiwiCo.com. You're going to want to check them out because you can get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code MOTHERHOODTALK at KiwiCo.com. That's 30% off your first month at KiwiCo.com, promo code MOTHERHOODTALK. And one of the things that's happening as families stick closer to home this spring, I know we are, it's a big change for me and my kids. And we have a lot of family overseas and we can't go see them. We can't go travel. There's nothing we can do right now. So for me to get the Explore Italy kit for my kids and allow them to get this crate full of fun science and art projects every month. It's really fun to have these STEAM projects and allow their imagination to go on a trip without leaving home. And they've got crates for trailblazing toddlers to more experienced explorers and everybody in between, every stage in between. And we did the Explore Italy project and it was a really cool crate. First of all, everything was in it. It had some little cards you can paint. We made this pizza oven that when you turn the handle, the Italian guy spills the pizza crust and the flames go up and down. And my kids found it really fun. And more importantly, it was something that we did together as a family. And we talked about Italy and we talked about the Renaissance. We talked about Leonardo da Vinci and... um we talked about the canals and and this colorful history that hopefully someday we will be able to go visit. We just can't do it right now. So we ended up cooking up some homemade bruschetta and we made a pizza too. And we were so 
excited because it gave us a break from the monotony of the same thing of, you know, school at home, homework, this, no sports, all these things that, that depress us. All of a sudden we get this crate in the mail and it was a super fun surprise and it cultivated both my kids' natural creativity and curiosity and they get to explore new worlds and rediscover familiar ones without leaving home. And you can sail the solar system, you can conduct colorful chemistry tests and more. Everything shipped right to your door and there's no commitment so you can pause or cancel at any time. Now, with KiwiCo, there's something for every kid or a kid at heart every month and you can get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code MOTHERHOODTALK at KiwiCo.com. That's 30% off your first month at KiwiCo.com, promo code MOTHERHOOD. You will be so glad that you did. It is a super fun project for the whole family and you guys will really enjoy it. Check it out, KiwiCo.com, 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line. Now, we were talking to Paula Mounier about her book coming out and how she used all these different kind of plotting mechanisms. She wrote a book on plot. But Paula, let me ask you, are you still using these tools and tricks today? It's like riding a bike with training wheels. You really need it at the beginning. You need those training wheels. You need that structure. But you may come to a point where you can let go of those wheels and travel a little more intuitively. Well, that it might just makes sense going, you know, your first book, you have to develop a setting. You've got to have a backstory. You have to have, you know, characters and sketches and all these things. And then, you know, the second book, I would imagine you're still attending to those, but they're more known. They're more friendly. And, and do you ever feel like your characters are running away from you or that you're like, wait a minute, I didn't want to go down this road. You know, Mercy, come on, let's turn around and, and go back. Like, how is your relationship? with her changed well I just love her more and more it's kind of like having a child and of course you love that child like crazy from the minute it's born or maybe the minute it's conceived you know but the the more they grow up the more you fall in love with them because you just know them more deeply and they change and they grow and it's so gratifying. And it's that same kind of process. It's very gratifying to see her grow over the course of the books. Paula, I'm just going to jump in here for a second and thank our sponsor. I really want to thank our sponsor today, which is Best Fiends. And Best Fiends has been with us for over a year. So we're very grateful. And we love playing Best Fiends because it's a great way to connect with friends and family around the country, especially when we can't get together. And my friends in Canada play it. So a shout out to Frankie Picasso, who's a radio host who also plays Best Fiends with me, and we give each other gifts online and we don't have to deal with the post office. So when I need to blow off some steam, I love playing Best Fiends. It is a top-rated mobile puzzle adventure game, and it gives me hours of fun. It's casual. It never gets old. My kids play it. They're 14 and 17. There are thousands of new levels plus new content added all the time. And like I said, I send little gifts and hugs and hearts and all these things through, you know, lives to my my family and friends. So when I need to unwind, I can always count on Best Fiends. And what my favorite thing is about the game is that the music is fun. It's not annoying. The characters are cute. You get involved with the storyline. And I love to punch out the Slugmageddon. Like when you connect a bunch of of the little, um, you know, the different symbols, you get to like punch the Slugmageddon. And I will tell you, it actually brings my stress level down. And they clap and they go, yay! 
And those things really make me feel good, especially when I'm stressed out and frustrated. And I've been playing for over a year. I'm almost at level 400. And I want to talk about these levels for a second because they're challenging, but they're not so hard that you get frustrated and then it's no more fun. They're, it's just they found that sweet spot, you know, where you can advance. And yeah, some of them are a little more challenging than others, but you don't get frustrated by it. It's really a lot of fun. And I'd encourage you guys to check it out. So with Best Fiends, there's something new today, tomorrow, and every day after that. There's literally thousands of levels to play and counting, tons of cute characters to collect, and you'll never get tired of solving the puzzles. And good news, with Best Fiends, the fun never ends. And don't blame me if you become slightly obsessed. I play it in the grocery line. I play it in the bathroom. I play it when I'm waiting to pick up my kids. You know, all of those things allow me to have a little brain break and I come back and I'm a better mom because I've reduced my stress level. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now, we were talking with Paula Meunier today and we were talking about her wonderful characters, her character Mercy. And, you know, Paula, sometimes characters can run away with us. And we were talking about this earlier. And what do you do when your characters run away from you? It's interesting that you say that because I have never had characters run away with me, but in writing book four, I had a title because the publisher said, we want the title to be The Hiding Place, okay? Uh, no, not, not The Hiding Place, book four, I in, in The Hiding Place I did. They had a title and they had a premise, you know? Like, okay, they wanted it to be a cold case story and I had never written a cold case story before. And what's interesting about a cold case story is you have this whole thing that happened 20 years before, you know, a whole mystery, a whole murder, yeah. a whole, whole storyline. And I had stuck to storylines mostly in the present, but now I had to weave these two together. And that was a very interesting process. And it was interesting for me because I got to explore Mercy's backstory and her family's backstory, the death of her grandfather, you know, secrets that could upset the family if they were revealed now. So I got to know her even more deeply, which is really interesting. And I didn't expect that to happen. How much of her is actually you? Because I find when I'm working on projects, especially I found when I was a ghostwriter for many years, I had to really be careful to not put myself in there. But this is your own work. So how much of Mercy is you? And, and where do you see yourself in this character? Well, I see her in my love, her love of Shakespeare mm -hmm. and her love of literature and her love of dogs. Okay, certainly. Um, I was a military brat and I've never been in the military. My heroine is a former military policewoman. So she's served in the military. She's served in combat. So I have not done that, but I was raised in Amelia where everybody else had, right? So I don't think of her as myself. I sort of think of her as if I had chosen that path, like many of my peers did, maybe I would have turned out like her. Um, that said, I don't see that much of her in me. She's very tough. I think she's tougher than I am. She's very well disciplined. 
she's very self-possessed at a very young age. And I was not self-possessed. I'm still not well, Let me ask you, did you put those characteristics in her? Because those are characteristics that you would like for yourself. Like I would definitely not put, you know, my character as sloppy and disorganized and losing her keys all the time as I am. It would be a character that would do the things better than the ones I struggle with. Exactly. Well, that's why she's, very slender and a redhead because in my next life <laughs> I'll be a slender redhead but um you know yes I do think you 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 put in attributes that you aspire to as well someone once said that there's a little bit of you in all your characters including the villains and I think that's absolutely true you it's kind of like an actor playing a part right you can play a good guy you can play a bad guy you can play young old rich poor you know so I think as a writer, you get the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. And I found at times when I had to write the villain, I didn't like myself very much. Like <laughs> I didn't realize what a dark kind of evil side there is in me. Now I wouldn't act on it. You know, Paul, you don't have to be afraid of me like the psycho radio host, you know, but I did find that, wow, I have the capability of really thinking this way. Well, yes. And, and, you know, to write murder mysteries, you have to plot murder, literally. So that kind of surprised me that I was able to do that <laughs> as easily <laughs> as I could. Of course, as a writer, you get a chance to, you know, as Sue Grafton said, kill off your ex-husband in book one, you know, that kind of thing. So yes. there is that, that, uh, that transformation that takes place. You're able to take, you know, people you don't like and, and uh, see them come to bad ends. That's always fun. That is fun. That is fun. Some of the shorts that I've written over the years, they are there. They have the the ex-husband, they have his mistress. And, you know, it's, it's an actual cathartic, joyful ride, as long as you're careful that you don't identify anybody too closely. Absolutely. You know, how much of your day, like, uh, this is always fascinating to me because People ask me all the time, like, you know, what's a, the life of a radio host? And I said, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of writing. It's a lot of of learning because, you know, I don't know what topic is going to be given to me, especially if my radio station gives me someone to interview and it's a topic I know nothing about. So there's reading, there's writing and there's learning. And I love that. So most of my day is spent reading, writing and learning and maybe one hour performing for three or four hours of other administrivia, minutia, research, writing, and learning. How much is your day writing versus other things? What does your day look like? Walk me through one of your days. Well, it's 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 a busy day, but that's the thing about the pandemic, right? We're all working twenty four seven just from home. Sure. So, I mean, I try to write in the morning if I know what I'm going to write about. I am a former journalist. I started off as a journalist, so I kind of have to know my story. I have to, you know, know my research, have done my interviews, that kind of thing. I can't really just sort of make it up out of thin air. That I find difficult to do. I have to have some, some, you know, something in the pot, right? Um, and so I try to write in the morning if I can. Then I am also an agent by day. So I have all my agenting that I have to do, which requires, you know, reading other people's manuscripts, selling them, you know, talking to editors, that kind of thing. And then I, I tend to read manuscripts late at night. It's like at most of editors and agents that you, you meet, they do all their reading, you know, on nights and weekends. And then, you know, if I can go back in the afternoon, I will. So I usually have a word count I'm trying to hit. But it's very slow at the beginning because I'm learning about the new book, right? Right. Like, writing this book for, 
I thought, okay, I had a, I had a, I had a, a premise was going to take place at a wedding, Vermont in June, because my editor said no more snow. So <laughs> we had two books of snow, no more snow, no more snow, Vermont in June, and I knew that, and I and I had this thing. I had been visited this goat farm, so I wanted goats, and you know, goats are cute. Lots of goats in this book, um, and I killed off. I was going to kill off this character in the very first scene. But then I wrote him and I fell in love with him. And I thought, well, I can't kill him off. He's too right. good. I have to bring him back. So I just had him ran off, run off into the woods. But then I had to come up with someone else to die. Someone has to die in a murder mystery, the sooner right. the better. So um, I, I thought someone else has to die and I have to figure out how to kill them. And so I just started researching, you know, I went to, of all things, as for fun, if you've ever watched Midsummer Murders on PBS, they have it's been on for 20, 30 years, and uh, they've killed everybody in every possible way. So I just read all the crazy ways they killed people. And then I had to give myself some ideas, sort of, you know, fuel for the fire. Yeah. And then I come up, of course, with my own. But, but that kind of research is always entertaining, uh, you know, to figure out how the mystery will happen, how the murder will happen, what the weapon will be, what the right. murder will be, all those things. So that's always fun. And that's fun research. And that really, really gets me going. I bet. I mean, that to me sounds, you know, interesting and fun and exciting because it's an adventure. And, you know, do you ever find like I, I, I talk a lot with Diane Mills and she's a contemporary author and um, she's a love. And she would tell me how she would write on this treadmill like she had a walking desk. And I was like, I, I actually tried one out, Paula. I'm alive today because I didn't buy it. I was like, how do you, you know, I, I just couldn't do it. But one of the things I've enjoyed lately, and this came from actually, I'm going to give you credit for this because you got me thinking one day, I was reading your book and then I started thinking about an autopsy. Don't ask me how it just came up probably because of the murder stuff. But then I thought, People who do autopsies have their hands in a body. How are they dictating things? So I did. I, I got one of those dictation apps made by Dragon, and I bought a little like little lavalier mic for twenty bucks. I mean, it was nothing. You know, the whole investment was maybe thirty dollars, and I found that that speaking my stories do a lot for me, even though it's a pain in the ass to edit them more. So like, have you played around with a standing desk doing dictation or handwriting it? Sometimes I handwrite things if I'm because of my chemotherapy, I have a hard time focusing. So I'll handwrite the things that I need to write. And then I dictate them into this little Dragon Speak app and Dragon Speak did not you know, uh, pay any endorsement for today. I'm just telling you what I use. And then I can go back later and edit it. And that seemed to be working better for me than sitting at a computer all day. Talk to me about your experiences in writing and what you've tried and what's worked and hasn't worked. Well, I have trouble sitting still, as my husband will tell you, I can't, I can't sit still. So for me, the hardest part of writing is sitting still. So I just don't. I mean, I really don't sit still. Um, I usually sit cross-legged. I sit on the floor half the time. I also use an app called Rev, which is kind of like Dragon, uh, your Dragon you're talking about. Um, it's an app called Rev. What I love about it is that humans transcribe it for you. Oh, so nice. 
Yeah, so it's very accurate. And, and I don't have the patience for transcription. So um, they transcribe it for me. And so I will use that. A lot of times, if I just want to get a lot down quickly and I have a scene in my mind, I just talk it through it. Yes. And, yeah, and then Rev transcribes it and sends it to me. And then I just, you know, play with it. Um, I also always have a notebook because I'll, I tend to think of things when I'm walking the dogs, when I'm taking a bath, when I'm going to sleep or wake up in the middle of the night. And I know if I don't write it down, I will forget it. Absolutely. So I always do that. And then I just sit at the computer too. I do do that, but I spend so much time on the computer that any time away is a gift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you ever find it helpful? Like sometimes I see, and this never worked for me, I think, cause I'm, I, I chase shiny hubcaps. Um, the people that can work in a coffee house and they're in and they're like, when I'm in New York, I, I go to New York four or five times a year and I'm there and I always marvel at the people who, well, they at least look like they're doing something. I don't know how productive they are, but I do that. I get my iPad. I have my, you know, like my portable keyboard and I'm all teched out, like all geeked out. And then I just sit there and I'm like, oh, I'm eating. I'm doing everything else but what, you know, people watching. I get nothing done, but I have a lot of fun doing it. Have you ever had any luck doing that? I can do that with a notebook, a notebook oh. and a pen. I can go to a coffee shop with a notebook and a pen and just sort of dream, sort of daydream my way through it, right? Okay. But to sit there with a computer, I think it's because when I started off, as I said, as a journalist, and you know the way the journalism worked was you, you did your research, you interviewed, you came back, you sat down, and of course, this was the dark ages where you didn't have a laptop. Hey, no judgment. My journalism, when I went to Medill at Northwestern, my first year, they made us use a typewriter the whole time because they said you might be in a third world country. You don't have any device. Use the typewriter. I grew up on a typewriter and my first company was called the Rusty Typewriter. So we're just going to embrace that part of each other. Okay, well, good. Well, I, so you, when I first started, we had typewriters, but we also had um, there came a time where we just sat down in front of the mainframe sure. and, and the mainframe sent the story to the typesetter. So, um, you know, you had to get all your ducks in a row and know what you were going to write. And then you sat down and wrote it there. And I knew that once I wrote it and it went into that mainframe, that was it. Right. right. So, so that meant it had to be good to go. And sometimes I would type it up first and then take it to them. But mostly I got to the point where I would just sit down and write it there on the mainframe. So, so for me, the typewriter, the computer, anything like that with a device means it has to be final draft. Yep. And so sometimes I'm not, at, you know, with a novel, there's no, there's never a final draft. Right. You keep revising, revising until they take it out away from you and publish it. So, so for me, sometimes the best way is to have just a notebook and a pen, take notes to myself. And then when I, I have kind of a first draft right there, on the page, I can take it to the computer and make it pretty. So for me, that's what a coffee shop does. It, it gives me the ambience, ambience I need to, to sit and write longhand, which is what I do when, I, when I'm stuck. 
See, and I love that because I always thought there was something like fundamentally wrong with me, like most people who, you know, think about you with the way they do it. And I created for COVID, I created my own little New York coffee shop. I made a playlist on Spotify. It's like got my New York City cafe music. And then I bought myself a little, one of those little kettles, you know, you plug into the wall in my bedroom. And then I moved my furniture around because I can't go and work in my office. I can't do the things that I'm doing especially with my cancer treatments. So I do have my recording studio at home, but I thought Paul, I was so crazy because I couldn't, I couldn't write in my recording studio, you know, 16 years of recording in here. I'm kind of like Pavlov's dog. I come in, I see the microphone, I turn on, there's the pop filter, hit everything. And then I was like, Oh, where am I supposed to write? Like, even though it's a computer, like it's all computerized setup, but I think we're creatures of habit too. And like you, I carry a notepad everywhere. I'm constantly taking notes and I cannot sit down to write until all of my research is done. And that was really hard for me as a radio host because I had my routine. I'm like, okay, Paula Mounier is coming on. I'm going to research her blind search book. It's a paperback. You know, the 299 version came out in um, February. So if you're listening to this, don't expect to find it, but go by the hiding place because it comes out March 30th. And, you know, <laughs> all these little things here. And then but I, but I had to get over that because sometimes you have to just push through, you know, you're a professional in your business. I'm a professional in mine and I can't say, Hey, you know what? It's two o'clock and the show's supposed to air. I need another week. Right. Right. Exactly. It's same thing with, with writing a novel. And of course, writing a novel, a big difference between that and journalism. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It takes months, you know, to write even a first draft. It takes months and then you have to revise it. So you have to pretend that what you're writing is good enough to survive the marathon. It probably isn't, you know, you're going to have to revise it, but you have to pretend it is so that you can keep on going and right. get, get to the end the first time and then go back. So part of it is believing in the process. And I think the more you do it, the more you come to trust that process that yes, you will think of something, you will come to the end, just sit down and you can train. If you sit down with, with a pad or pen at your computer, however, with your Rev app, however you do it, you will train your brain, just like Pavlov's dog. Yeah. Oh, I'm in the, I'm ready to write. And your subconscious will start writing for you. Absolutely. And you can always, one of my best tricks is, and this is not just my trick. A lot of people do this. I take the pages from the night before, the day before, and I read the pages and I get back in the story and I start editing as I go. And that way I'm in. Part of it's just getting in that daydream state and staying there. Well, and that I think was, you know, one of the real challenges, you know, when I, when I connected with you guys, I connected through Gina um, Panettiere first of Talcott Notch, great literary agency. Paula also works there. You guys check them out. They're fabulous. I love these women. Um, and I, I was checking some of the things out and I, what I, what I was talking to her about, I took you guys, one of your um, boot camp things. Remember the, that's how I, I met you, Paula, with, within this boot camp. And, you know, I'm kind of sucking everything up I can. Um, but I said to her, you know, I worked on a book with, with Gina. I don't know if you know this 20 years ago. Oh. 
And it was one of a collaborative book that I don't even remember what it was, but it turned out one of the girls from my high school that I knew, Brett uh, McWhorter-Sember, was a, a, a stable writer for Gina. So like it was all this weird confluence of things. But I said to Gina, the hardest thing that I have in completing you know, a novel or, or a big project like this is interruptions. Like my radio business, I've got my coaching business. I have two teenage boys. My mom died and I have my father living with me. And with COVID trying to carve out, that's why I made my fake New York City coffee shop in my bedroom. <laughs> so I can leave there and just go sit in the corner of my room and pretend I'm somewhere else. Um how do you deal? Cause you've got, you've got a lot in your household right now. And how do you deal with interruptions? How do you deal with like my dad's Navy? He watches the history channel and the military channel. There's like a Harrier landing, like in the second bedroom, every like fourth episode or machine gunfire. As I go to the bathroom. I understand my dad, my parents, we all live together in this big old house and they have their part of the house and we have ours, but still, the kitchen's in the middle, so and I do all the cooking. The hardest part for me about the pandemic, honestly, has been all the cooking. And that's because we live in nowhere, New Hampshire. That's what my son calls it. Nowhere, New Hampshire. And there's nothing to be delivered. You can't even get pizza delivered. So it's really me cooking three meals a day for four to six adults. And I love to cook, but enough is enough. You know, that's a lot. It's a lot of cooking. So I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. That's true cooking. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's real cooking. And, of course, everybody likes something different. But I can hear, you know, my dad. It's the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, the Western Channel. You know, same same stuff. Gunshot, gunshot, gunshots everywhere we go. <laughs> exactly. I don't think you're not a romance writer. <laughs> but at least you're a murder author expert. So a gunshot makes sense. Yeah. Well, and, and then, of course, we have the dogs. And then. My son's come to help my business, my husband run his business. So, you know, the good news is I'm not completely isolated like a lot of people are during the pandemic. I'm not lonely. <laughs> I, miss, I miss my writer friends. I miss you, but I don't, you know, I, I'm around people. But we also have 19 acres, so I can walk the dogs every day. I can just go off into the woods. But interruptions have, I don't know. I mean, I just learned to to deal with that when my kids were little and I was a journalist working from home and they were running around and I was writing stories and and I, I, I'm very good at completely tuning out the rest of the world, which, you know, a lot of people, my children, my children and my husband would say, not such a great thing, but for me, it's great work-wise. When my young, my middle child, he used to do this, um, this impression of me at home and it was this. Hi, honey, sure, honey, whatever you want, go right ahead. <laughs> so, so I'm very good at <laughs> tuning out the rest of the world, apparently too good, but uh, it helps. Oh, I love that. You know? yeah. yeah. Cause I really struggle with that with, it's funny though, you know, if I, and I think that's the, the difference is if I'm working, like when I'm on the radio, like actually my house did catch on fire. This is a true story. When I first started military mom talk radio, there was actually a fire in the kitchen. Um, and I was doing my radio show and I'm kind of like, somebody burned toast. It'll be fine. <laughs> my kitchen oh my was God. on fire. Um, so if it's work, I can do that. But when I'm in a creative zone, 
I'm always so joyful and so happy doing what I'm doing. But then it's like, then I hear like my kids fighting and I hear my dad, you know, doing something and it just causes me to go like, and then I lose my mojo. Well, I do think, and matter of fact, some, one of my friends, writer friends was tweeting about this yesterday that, you know, people just don't, other people, meaning not writers, other people do not understand when you're in that daydream state you're in that state and they say oh could I just ask you something real quick that it it totally takes you out and sometimes Absolutely. it hard it's hard to get back in so they don't understand what a disruption it is it really can be a terrible disruption um you know when I was very young I first started writing I read this wonderful essay a collection of essays by women writers it was called the writer at work and there were two volumes and I I remember one of the women writing I work at night because I can only, something about, oh, because I am not needed in their dreams. Oh, nice. Yes. And so, you know, I I started writing late at night because I was not needed in their dreams, right? When my kids were small. So I think there's something to that, you know, is that when you're on call to everybody, and now it's not necessarily kids, but it's dogs and yeah but it's that mommy brain it's the mommy brain that's always like there's a part of you that's listening for the crash the thump if they cry I know it's okay if there's a crash and a thump they don't cry I have to get up like you know there's all those little filtery things that we have that kind of alert antenna and it doesn't matter whether it's a child or a parent it's anyone or a dog it's anyone you're caring for exactly so I do think there's something to you know maintaining a space where that, that kind of disruption can't happen. And for me, that's often late at night just yeah. because everybody else is asleep, even the dogs, sunsets, the dogs are asleep, you know? So I, I, when I'm desperate and it often happens towards the end of the book yep. because I'm hurtling towards the finish line yep. and I stay up later at, at night and I get more done. Well, a true. Absolutely. I mean, I know with my kids, um, I used to let them when I had radio, like now I'm thankful that most of my episodes can pre-record. But when I was literally, they were live shows and my shows would be like seven, eight, nine in the morning. I would let my kids, because people thought I was the most insane mother because I were the moon people. I'm like, swim till one o'clock in the morning. You know, I'll sit out and watch you and, you know, sit in the hot tub till you're boiled, you know, beyond recognition. That way they'd sleep till noon. And that was my thing is I wanted my kids up playing video games. I wanted them up doing all this stuff till one, two o'clock in the morning, because then there was dead silence. You know, they were out cold in the morning and, you know, but there is something about a mom. And, you know, when we talk today about, about, you know, writing and whatever you write, whether it's for work or for pleasure or, you know, it's poetry or novels or whatever, it could be blogs, whatever it is. These, I think, are real struggles that people have, especially mothers juggling. You know, I read this thing, Paula, that said moms who work in an office work on an average of 34.5 hours a week. I think it was Forbes. Moms who work from home, 45, 50, up to 60 hours because they can just tuck this in. They can throw in the laundry and just do this. And, you know, I'm finding in COVID that there's a blur between being like 
I'm not shot out of a cannon anymore at 6 a.m. because I had to get on the freeway at a certain time. Now it's a much more gentle. And I got an alarm clock that's like the sun and it tweets. <laughs> I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's nice. tweeting in the birds. You know, so it's a much gentler thing. But I can go till 1130, 12 at night easily because I have technically nowhere to go tomorrow. Well, yes. I mean, that's the that's the flip side, right? I heard someone describe every day during the pandemic as blurs day. <laughs> and I think it is, it's blurs day. And so you just end up working all, all the, the time, time, you know, because you get texts all the time, you get emails all the time. You know, you can write late, you can get up in the morning. You can, I mean, I have a lot of roles anyway, as you do you. And so, but none of them ever seems to go you know, to sleep. <laughs> it's right. always on, you know, you'll get texts from people at, at midnight. Like, it's midnight on Sunday. What is wrong with you? You know, I mean, nobody has any boundaries anymore. And I think that's really hard. I, I said to one of my clients, he said, well, we, let's talk about this. I said, well, it's Saturday. And, you know, I'll talk to you about this on Monday, but you know, good thought. And he goes, Ooh, good boundaries. And I said, yes, we have to try. We so have to try. try. Yeah, because if there's no defined work day, and this I have, you know, I have clients from all over the world. So my clients are in England, they're in Australia, they're in Germany, I've got two in the Pacific Rim, Pacific Islanders. And I'm like, I could work 24 hours a day. And I generally do, you know, because if something wakes me up in the middle of the night, what do I do? I check my phone. Oh, I can answer these five things because it's already 9am in London. And they're not good habits to have. They're make you productive. You know, you make a lot of money, you get a lot done, but you know, you're, you're just brutalized, not even knowing what day it is. Well, yes. And, and, and my husband said to me, you know, he finally said, you know, you have to turn that phone off, <laughs> you know, because it, we're together all the time, but we're not talking to each other. Right. Right? It's, it's like, so I have, sort of sacrosanct time which is basically dinner time because i i have to cook dinner for everybody i cook and i then i have spent time my husband who goes to bed very early because he's in construction so he goes to bed early because he gets up at the crack of dawn right so and i just try not i just try to put the phone away put the text away put it away and then if i need to keep working all at nine o'clock after he's asleep i'll get up you know, and I'll, I'll work longer, but I do think you owe it to the people in your house, <laughs> your, 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 your people you're sharing your life with and to yourself to have time away because I mean, there's so much burnout and depression. I was talking to a woman in one of my workshops and she was a therapist and she said, there's so many people who are anxious and depressed relationships that are unraveling with all this so-called togetherness it's just a really hard time so we have to we have to find ways to hold on to ourselves and gives ourselves permission to chill well and I will tell you something from having a background in technology you know when my kids were were small Paula and I found myself suddenly single um at you know with a three-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old and a $15,000 a month overhead (laughs) You know, somebody decides he doesn't want to be married anymore and decides he likes the girl down the street or the the lady. And she was older than me, Paula. And she 
weighed more. I'm like, this is not the natural order of things. I at least could understand someone who was young and pretty like that. I get this one. I didn't. So there was a whole nother, that's a whole nother episode, but the, the long and short of it was what I learned in technology is that I would exhaust my brain. And even though I was sitting and a lot of times, Paula, I had a playpen in my office over here. I strapped my other kid in a car seat over here and would put on like headphones and a video. You know, that's how I got through a lot of my work meetings and things like that, working from home with no childcare. But then I would burn up the night, like the kids would go to sleep if it wasn't a dueling banjos night with one going, then one sleeps, the other one's up. But I would burn out my brain because that fatigue has to be acknowledged. And with our glut of technology from everything from digital movies to movies on demand to 5,000 channels to let's play a video game, let's do this, let's text. I really believe so many of these quote unquote mental health issues are coming because our brains are tired. They're never shut off. They're never disconnected. And even when we sleep, we still hear that bing, and then we have a jerk alert awake. Exactly. Plus, we don't focus on one thing. You know, your brain, this whole multitasking idea is, is a falsehood. Your brain doesn't multitask. Your brain just shifts gears more quickly. And all that shifting gears more quickly is bad for your brain. I mean, what I live for, and the dogs live for it too, <laughs> is three o'clock in the afternoon when they line up in front of me because they know it's three o'clock and we take our walk. Yeah. We go out in the woods. And we take our walk and there's, I, I have the phone stuck in my pocket just in case I fall down <laughs> you know, and I need help, but cause there's a lot of snow and ice out there, but I don't look at that phone, right? you know, unless it's to take a picture of the dogs or the woods. I just walk for an hour with the dogs and it's silence. All you can hear is the crunch of the snow. That's it. And it's heaven. And it gives my brain a complete rest. Yes. A break, a brain break. And we need those brain breaks. You know, and one of the things when you were talking about, you know, trying to focus in a noisy household and how, you know, to get back into that zone of of concentration when you're writing, I kept thinking about my yoga class and how nobody goes into the yoga class and says to the yoga, hey, hey, guys, got my keys. Can you find my keys? Like, no one would do that. But it's kind of like that Zen quietness that you're in you're in this like zone and somebody comes in you know and like asks the yogi for his keys you know that's kind of that like rude loud interruption that's so hard to get back into but Paula I'm so glad that you talked frankly about these things because I know a lot of writers think the same thing they struggle with the same struggles and you know they can learn from you just take a walk how about that or make your fake coffee shop in the corner of your bedroom and, you know, sit there and pretend you're staring out at the New York skyline and, you know, having a moment. But all of those things, we can use our power of creativity to create those scenarios for ourselves, not just our characters. Absolutely. I mean, I know I talked to you about this before where I miss my daughter and my granddaughter so much who live in Europe that my daughter and I started writing a novel together set in Europe just so we could zoom more and 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 daydream about being together again you know mm -hmm. it's 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 a way to be there without being there and it's a, it gives your brain a break because your brain doesn't know the brain doesn't really know the difference between a nightmare and a daydream 
and consciousness. It's all the same to your to your subconscious. So if I if I spend time with my daughter in Europe, even if it's only on paper, it's real and it feels good. I love that. I love that. So you guys go ahead and pick up your copy of The Hiding Place. It's out and we will um, want to hear like how you guys like it. I know you will go also and, and pick up some of um, some of Paula's other books, The Hiding Place. We have Blind Search. And we also mentioned your plot book, which I live by and a borrowing of bones. I gave that you guys, I gave a borrowing of bones as a Christmas gift one year. It was so great. Everybody loved it. And if you are a writer, pick up her plot. Perfect. And do you have the quiet hands one? That's another one that I love. Yes. I have two others, the writer's guide to beginnings and quiet hands. We love that. I own all of these. I bought them myself. Some of them Paula sent to me, but I encourage you, if you're a writer, look up these books. If you're a reader, which you should be if you're a writer, but not always the case, um, go ahead and get a copy of Paula's book. She'll be glad you did. We're going to be back with Paula again in a couple months and get your copy of The Hiding Place. She'll be glad you did. We'll be back again next week. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia.